When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Poetry Questions TPQ20, where we sit down with your favorite authors to talk about passions, process, pitfalls, and poetry. My name is Chris Margolin. Let's expand the conversation. Hello, hello. Hello. (laughs) Sorry, there we go. Hello, hello. How are you doing today? I'm okay. I just had a little bit of a computer snafu, so I'm just using my phone like the oh, good old days, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so I'm so grateful we get a chance to sit down for a TPQ20 today. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited to talk with you. Uh, I've obviously been following you for quite a while now. Um, so I always like to start out, though, by saying we know who you are. Uh, but our audience may be new to you. So if you were to give the bio that is not on the back of I Love You, Call Me Back, uh, who would you say you are? Um, I would say I'm a 35-year-old weirdo from Toronto who writes a lot of poetry. And if you know me, you might know me from a viral video from like 2014 (laughs) um, from a poem explaining my depression to my mother where I'm having a full panic attack. Um, that's where you might know me if you do know me, or you might know me. I think that's probably where it started. (laughs) Yeah, that's mainly where it started, but you also might know me because you're into house music, um, and a DJ Fred again sampled that poem into a song, so you could know me from that. Um, yeah, that's probably the best bet, but I, I'm just a a writer in Toronto named Sabrina. I I love it. So (laughs) I, uh, I, I, my my stu- so I teach seventh grade, and I would be remiss if I didn't say that you are definitely a a class favorite. Um, we've watched quite a few quite a few of your pieces, um, and so uh, my students, I let them know today that that I was going to be talking with you, and they were really really excited. Um, uh, there there are a couple boys who uh, who got very very shy and very excited to to know that that you know we would be sharing the same like computer space today. <laughs> um, <laughs> So they, the same they talk, right. They, they tossed a couple questions my way. And uh, I answered one of them already. One asked me if you would be available uh, and if he would ever have an opportunity. And I, I let him know that, that he was a little bit young for, for that and that it yes. wasn't. So, um, but <laughs> thank I you for say, answering that for me. <laughs> I just wanted to, you know, but, it, but one of the questions that did keep coming up because, you know, because my students did do see you uh, in your 2014 self, um is where does your inspiration come from and then i'll add on to that what another was asking is and how did you find the courage to get there yeah okay how okay let's start with the courage because i don't know that i ever really found the courage as much as the moment arrived and i kind of had to have the courage to you know it was like someone said this to me once um out of context they said you have to want something more than you're afraid of it 
And in that moment, I wanted to get that out of me more than I was afraid of keeping it in, you know, and so that it outweighed not that I was brave enough to do it. It just the fear of keeping it in forever outweighed um, the bravery at that, you know, or the bravery outweighed, outweighed the fear. And I think that's been something I've taken with me throughout my whole life is just like, do I want this more than I'm afraid of it? Because if the answer is yes, then it's worth, you know, being afraid and doing it anyway. Well, so, and yeah. And I think since you are someone who obviously talks a lot about mental health with your work, um, did it help you? Did being on stage and, you know, did that, did that, did those moments, you know, at the beginning of your, of your spoken word career, does that help you with, with some of the issues that you deal with? It did. It, it does. It did. It will like uh, writing always helped me to kind of navigate what was happening inside of my brain for myself to kind of understand myself better. I wrote a lot, but it turns out that sharing that writing helps other people understand you better as well. So that has been really helpful in my life. I will say at first it was a bit of a shock to go from like, nobody knew this thing about me to like, now it's kind of the only thing everybody knows about me. (laughs) So that was a little bit um, overwhelming and honestly not great at times. Um, I I definitely didn't love feeling so exposed at times. So I always tell people like, if you want to write a poem about these things and you're not ready to share it, it's okay to write the poem and not share the poem until you're ready. Um, I think it's still helpful to write it. Like don't not write it because you're not ready to share, you know, you can do one without the other, but once you write it, I think you start to get the itch to share it. And that itch is indicative of you like wanting to connect. And I think that's something to pay attention to for sure. So then how, so I always like to ask timeline questions. So how far from the original draft of that poem of uh, uh, how far removed is the video? So that video is the first time that poem was ever said to an audience. Oh, okay. Um, that poem had only ever been said to people one other time. And that was in the hotel room earlier that day. I said it to the four people on my poetry team. Oh my. Um, yeah, that poem had not seen the light of day uh, until that video. So that is why, you know, that is the reaction, I think, a lot of it. Um, but the the first draft of that poem j- really was just like a letter to my mom. And it, it was probably, it clocked in around like six minutes long. If you read it out loud, yeah. All right. So it, there was a lot of editing uh, of that poem and a lot of arguing with the editor. Uh, like at the time, my slam coach, um, who was a wonderful poet by the name of Ian Kedeku in Canada, um, he would like argue with me like, oh, I don't know if this metaphor makes sense. And I'd be like, it makes sense to depress people. Just trust me. <laughs> We'd have a lot of going back and forth. <laughs> so yeah. So then with, with I Love You, Call Me Back, um you know there is a there's a wide span there we've got you know what nine years of time that's going by so you know who are you now that you maybe didn't know you could be or were afraid to be back then yeah I think that's a great question I I think who I didn't know I could be was like an actual writer, like not just kind of a person who had a lot of feelings and worked through those feelings in writing. Um, Like I've taken, I I always liked, you know, being in English class. I'm not going to lie. I was an English class nerd, you know, like I, I loved it. Um, But I also 
really love like taking online workshops and I love taking classes whenever I can. I like reading books about the craft and it's, it's been very cool to like, okay, I had this like viral kind of phenomenon that was like a wild and crazy ride, but now I get to like actually write books and focus on the writing and care for it. And that's been the most incredible, um, like thing and that's something I didn't believe that I could do you know I was so afraid that like I wouldn't be write a good book that I was too afraid to write and then that's why poetry was a secret hobby of mine and so now to be able to have books multiple out in the world it feels really like um I don't want to say a dream come true because that sounds it makes it sound so you know whimsical and fun but it's it's I, like I worked for that dream you know what yeah. I mean it's not something that just happened but it's it's very incredible to be like oh the thing I was afraid of that it wouldn't be good it, it didn't stop me from doing it anyway and I'm like happy to look at myself as a person who does things um through fear and doesn't not do them because of fear that's something I think that's the biggest thing I've learned about myself mm. that I've been really proud of myself for nice well I want to go back to something you just said too you said you were a poet in secret so mm -hmm. um where does that secret start? So what led you to start picking up, you know, a pen or pencil at that time and writing in journals or whatever? Uh, and how does it get to not be a secret anymore? The secret started very early. I mean, I always kept notebooks throughout high school. I always wrote poems. I, I like to joke the secret. It started, it probably I had a crush on a boy and like didn't, couldn't <laughs> tell anyone. So I just like wrote a poem about it. Um, but the truth is, I I feel like I've just been all writing always poetry felt like a secret language that I could speak with myself. So it just always was something I did and didn't share. And then throughout high school, I would share it here and there. I actually my first poems, my first experience with sharing poems was on a dashboard confessional poetry forum on their website when I was in like the 10th grade. Oh, my. <laughs> I used to post poems on there. Yeah. Um, just like anonymously, you know, I didn't yeah. have a screen name that was myself. Um, so yeah, I, I just always kept it a little bit secret. And then it wasn't until I had a tumor in my throat that my best friend said to me, oh, it's because you swallow everything you want to say and like write it in your notebooks instead of saying it out loud. And I took that literally and signed up for a spoken word workshop. And then just that's how the journey began. That's a, what a great what a great you know start to that journey that's a, that's a i mean it's pretty incredible for somebody to be able to just say that to you and then for you to actually follow through with something like that is i mean a lot of people don't like get well the, the tumor was the size of a squash ball oh my so it was pretty large and it wasn't <laughs> cancer and it, the doctors were like we don't know how or why this is happening and growing so fast at that and so it felt very like nobody can figure it out but my friend's mm. like yeah just you did that and i was like oh okay maybe i did you know there's no other logical reason so why that's, not that's a I, wow so in the whole button poetry craze um yeah. i i happened to meet some of the when button was just first getting off the ground i i was friends with someone who helped with their publicity early on uh heidi and um so i I kind of watched Button become Button over the years. And it, it's obviously they, you know, they truly are the world's largest purveyor of online, you know, spoken word poetry. And it's, and it's incredible. Um, and I asked Patrick Roche this too, when I talked with him, but um, 
that experience, once you go viral with a poem, uh, this thing that a lot of people keep to themselves and the people do, you know, consider to be secret. Once you go viral with that, you know, you can't, you can't obviously put it, put it back in the jar. Um, how much pressure comes with what comes next for you? Um, at that point, honestly, not a lot. I'm not going to lie to you. It wasn't crazy at that point because I guess because I had only really started like doing poetry a year before that, it, it didn't feel like, like the poem went viral and I didn't have a book or I didn't have anything to promote. It was just like, right. oh yeah. And then I wrote, so I just like had other poems and then eventually those poems did okay to the point where Button was like, oh, do you want to write a book? And I was like, well, I have this manuscript, you know, <laughs> that I've been like secretly chiseling away on. And it it all kind of, like I always say like, it really felt like a snowball into a snowman, which I now am, you know, like each ball kind of built itself through the, the momentum of just like videos and then them going like getting numbers. And then you're like doing shows and then you're, you're in a school performing your poems or you're like writing a commercial for the Olympics. Like you're just doing weird stuff because people are finding, you know, and you know, and so then by the time the book came out in 2017, which was three years from that video that just felt like a huge snowball ride that I just kind of like jumped on and and went and showed up for you know I went with it but right. I showed up for it and it was it was wild it was it was ups and downs like a roller coaster but it was wild and then at that point once the book came out it was like okay now I get to do shows and I get to tour this book and then it was fun you know it was like how yeah. can I now I'm like a walking talking snowman you know like <laughs> I don't know how this happened but it's great that it did I think the pressure comes like now because you kind of have to realize you're not going to recreate that right. you just have to like and I don't want to recreate that necessarily I'm not really trying to go viral again honestly I'm just trying to like have a <laughs> career for hopefully my life yeah. <laughs> like I would like to write many books so yeah, at this point, it's just a matter of like not putting the pressure on yourself to do that and replicate that, but just to figure out how to sustain the kind of career that you want and that feels good. And as somebody who, you know, you do take breaks from things like social media. So how do you find uh, the, like, the idea of relevancy? Um, and I've talked to a lot of people about this, people who have never signed on to social media on here and those who are on there hours a day. Um, you know, there seems like such a race to stay relevant in, you know, in all forms of art. But do you find that, you know, do you find that you have to work at, at you know, some form of staying relevant or do you care? Or are you looking forward to just, you know, each new book cycle, are you looking forward to seeing what happens? I would like the work to be the thing that keeps me or makes me relevant. I would like that to be the case. Unfortunately, I do feel like this new social media landscape that we are, you know, hiking around in, um, you do kind of have to like promote yourself as a brand when the work, I don't know, it's strange. People take different, there's different ways to go, yeah. right? And I've definitely dabbled in what feels good and I've had to take breaks just because I feel very depressed and don't want to be on the internet or exist at all <laughs> for a second right. so I just need to take a second but I think for me I'd like my I'd like my two eyes to remain on the work I'm doing and not on 
how everyone else is perceiving me as a human existing in the world you know um I I joke a lot that I don't post poems on Instagram because like I just want people to feel like they're following a friend like that's I like to be everyone's internet friend like that's the ideal vibe of me on the internet that I'm just like some person you met one time and you like kept in touch for whatever reason like that you know what I mean like that person (laughs) you like you check up on them you like met them in an airport on the flight to San Diego and you were like yeah they were really nice they they shared their gum with me we talked about books and (laughs) records you know like that's the vibe I would like to have on the internet I don't feel like I need to be like pushing myself too much out there um but I I recognize we have to do that to promote ourselves but yeah I, I would like the work to kind of be the thing that stands out if if it does you know um and let that kind of take the reins if I could just focus on making what feels good and let that right like fly that. like a bird yeah oh the Nelly Furtado reference there was... yeah you can't you can't miss it as a Canadian you just have to take it when it's there thank you for indulging that <laughs> absolutely so um I've got to say, it feels like um, Canadian poets have taken over the Olympics. So between you and Shane Coyzan, it's kind <laughs> of like you guys have a lock on on the Olympics. So that's it, it. It's pretty. It's it's really it's awesome to see poets represented on much much larger, you know, grandiose stages. Uh, how did it feel to get the call that you were going to be uh, a voice uh, during the Olympics? It was wild because it it, it, the, it was kind of funny you know in hindsight when I look at it because they were like oh the women are winning so many medals um and our commercials are written and voiced by a man and we need to do a woman <laughs> thing so can you get in here and do this by Friday and it was like Wednesday and I was like yes please please yes um but it, it's funny like to think that like you didn't think this could happen <laughs> this wasn't a thought that could so I thought that was kind of funny but yeah, it, it was great. It was very cool. It was truly a dream. It was also cool to like, that was my first time in a studio with Ooh. like, you know, the headphones and like really full recording gear. And so that, it was very cool. That's always a fun experience. I, I'm surrounded by guitars behind me. And so this, uh, I, yeah, the studio is a, studio is a very, very happy place. Um, a question that did come up with a student uh, who is, who is a, I have a few seventh graders this year who I see something a little special in when it comes to their writing. And one of them was asking, um, we were joking about that idea of like uh, bedroom poetry, that like just that journal notebooking. Um, and, and they wanted to figure out how do they get it to that next level? Like how does, how does their journal at home poem, you know, live beyond that to become something that they're proud of? What would you mm-hmm. what would you say for that? How would you answer that? I mean, for me, the editing of like taking that journal entry and typing it out in a draft and then editing it is kind of the fun. Like you get to, I don't know, it's like decorating a blank room, you know? It's like you just got a new bedroom and you have a bed and some dressers and everything else is up for, for you to decorate. It's so fun. You get to like, really play around with your word choices your what it looks like on the page it just I think you have to enjoy you have to like be willing to just like play a little bit and see what you like and what you don't like to figure out what your voice is going to sound like you know are you 
what are you willing to, what are your images going to look like if you like really make them the most you or how, you know, if it says you sang, um, did you really sing or was it like more <laughs> of a mumbled hum, you know, mm, like you can yes. get a little more specific. You can just, hum. I think that's the fun part. So I always tell people like, let it exist in your journal as you're like, I don't, don't erase anything. Don't get right. like, nothing is bad. Nothing is unworthy. Like every word is worth it. You know, it's just like, let it exist in your journal as that. And then once you type it out, it gets to exist as a fun new thing and you don't lose what it was. It just changes shape, you know? I like that. And it, it makes me wonder a little bit about it. it when, when TPQ 20 started, we were very strict about our questions and we, we always talk, we asked a very, you know, very specific process and editing questions, but I am curious, what is your writing process? Like how, how often do you write? Um, and are you somebody who, who has some superstitions around it? I, yes, I do. Um, I write always with a blue pen. So that mm. is my weird superstition. I only write in blue pen. I don't know why. It's just what I like. <laughs> I don't know. I just always have, always will. Um, and I mostly write in moleskins. Ooh, now okay. I didn't always early. I started that maybe in like 2012 or something, 2011 around then. Um, so yeah, so now I only write in moleskins and my editing process. Yeah, I do write every day. I also am a big, like carry my notebook everywhere person and write wherever I have an idea. I've taken to using the notes app, um, <laughs> just because it's easier sometimes if you're like at a concert and you don't want to whip something we out to, or bring we your notebook fun, with you. We used to have a fun game on here of uh, name your notes tabs. Oh my uh, gosh. Poets have some crazy, uh, we've got some crazy notes tabs going on. I definitely, yeah, do name them. And yeah, so I, I pop in the notes app, but I do like to, even if I'm writing, I tend to only write by hand first, unless I'm in a workshop and we only have 30 minutes, then I'll write in a, in a, in a draft to get right. quicker quicker work done. But for the most part, I like to write by hand. So I would say every 10 to 15 full pages, I'll type it out into a, a document that's just like January or January to May or whatever kind of I'm working in I, my sandbox right. at the time. And sometimes I'll write a draft. Sometimes I'll, what I'll write in my notebook looks like a poem already. So then it just gets its own kind of word doc of whatever that poem will become, yeah. Well, and as we kind of move toward the ending here, um, we don't surprise surprisingly don't talk to a lot of Canadian poets. So I am uh, I'm excited to ask this question a little differently. Uh, who are the Canadian poets that we should be following and reading and listening to? Who's out there? Okay, there's lots out there. Oh my goodness, <laughs> this feels like a loaded question. Okay, I just okay. So Chimwemwe Undi has a book coming out next spring, who is just a genius. She's phenomenal. Um, there's also Britta Badur, who just came out with a book called Wires That Splatter, which is very good. I just started diving in, but she's wonderful. Sana Wanai has a book called My Grief the Sun, which is exquisite, 10 out of 10. And I just was recommended this book that I just um, started alongside the other called Dream of No One But Myself by David, David Bradford, I believe. Or title who is uh, also Canadian. So I'll check that out. That's awesome. And then uh, after I love you, call me back. What is next for you? What uh, What's coming up? 
So I just dropped actually at the beginning of March an audio original. So it's essentially an audio book with no book. You just listen to it. Um, it's an Ooh. hour long. It's called Chaotic Good. And that's mostly stories and poems. So it feels a little bit more like a live show kind of vibe. Awesome. So that's available wherever you would listen to an audio book. Cool. And yeah, I'm just working on my next book right now. Ah, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with me today on TPQ20. This has been an absolute pleasure. Um, I look forward to always listening to what comes next and reading what comes next from you and sending more and more people your direction. So thank you so much and have a great Thank you so time. much for having me. Absolutely. We'll talk soon. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Poetry Questions TPQ20. Please like, rate, review, and subscribe. See you next week.